Well, good morning. It feels good to be back. I hope you brought a snack. I got a lot to say today. I've been, uh, been away for a few weeks. I've read some good books, played some bad golf, uh, had some opportunity to do some prayer and reflection and think, you ever like just to carve out some time and just kind of do some big picture thinking about what's going on in your life? Just me? Okay. Um, so I've been thinking, what, if, what have I been doing? What have I been doing with my time? What do I want to do with my time? What if God were to give me just fantastic health and vibrant energy for the next two decades that I could just work hard for something important? I hope he gives me more than that, but let's just say I get that. What, am I, what do I want to do with that? What do I want to do with the best of the rest of the time that I have? And now I can say, more so than any other time in my life, I am gripped by, and I'm compelled by these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Now more so than any other time in my life, I'm like, this is, this is what I want to be about. And these words right here, this sentence and the, and the next set of sentences that we're going to read in just a couple of minutes, they, we know they're written by the Apostle Paul. But for anybody who doubts the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus, this sentence right here and the words that we're, going about, that we're about to read, they are an unexplainable mystery of history. The Apostle Paul, probably top 1% educated people of his day, highly educated, deeply religious, and it was his life mission to stop people from following Jesus. It was his life mission to stop people from trying to persuade others to follow Jesus. And something happened, and he became a leader of Jesus' followers. And it became his life mission to persuade others to follow Jesus too. What happened? He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He had an experience with the back from the dead Jesus. And when you experience that, and when you experience the new life that comes from knowing and following Jesus, you want other people to experience it too. And so these words that we just read and the words that we're about to read, they were written many years after that experience. And he's looking back and he's saying, this is the explanation for why I live my life the way that I do. And it's also an explanation for why those of us who are followers of Jesus, why we live our lives the way that we do. Why don't we live for our preferences? Why don't we live for our own comforts? It's because the love of Christ compels us. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for who? Themselves. You, you guys, you know you said that louder than the Saturday night crowd. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for who? Him. We live for him who died for them or who died for us, and he was raised again. So, because of that, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You guys know what it means to regard somebody from a worldly point of view, right? You've seen cable news. Like, you've heard conversations behind other people's back at your workplace. You know how people snipe and evaluate and gripe and condemn and just, we don't do that anymore. In Christ, all of that's gone. 
We once regarded Christ in that way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Do you guys know? Do you guys know in Greek what this word means, anyone? Do you guys know what it means? It means anyone. <laughs> but here's the significance. No matter what is in your past, no matter what is in your story, there is nothing that would ever cause Jesus to hesitate, to love you, to accept you, to forgive you, to call you his own, or to delight in you. Jesus did not hesitate to embrace the cross, and he never hesitates to embrace anyone who will come to him in faith. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Who has this ministry? Us. Who still has it today? And the us is all of those of us who are followers of Jesus. God has said, this is for you. This is your responsibility. This is your priority. And what is this ministry of reconciliation? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Is there any better sentence written anywhere than this one? That if you were in Christ, God is not counting people's sins against them. I don't know about your, actually I do know some of your stories. You got a pile of sin. I got a pile of sin. But here's the problem. That's not my biggest problem. I keep adding to my pile of sin. Am I the only one? And Jesus says, I don't hold that against you. Can we just sit in the absurd beauty of that for a second? I'm curious, is there anybody in here who knows what it's like for someone to hold something against you? Anybody? Does anybody know what it's like for somebody to hold something against you and they won't let it go? Is anybody doing that to somebody else? Do you know what Jesus says? You're in me. It's finished. We don't do that around here. We're not, I'm not holding your sins against you. That's amazing. That's amazing. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We get to be a part of it. I'm just going to say, listen, you've heard us talk about this all-in event right here. We're super excited about it. We've got, if, you, if you're like, Rick, yeah, I'm ex you just, you're talking about this ministry of reconciliation. God's given it to us. I want to be a part of that. How can I do that? Here's a super easy step. If you stop by the Connection Center, if you use your phone, go to autumnridge.church and click, I want to know more, and you can sign up and be on the team and serve and be a part of that. There are going to be people from the community, and they are going to see the gospel play out as people are baptized. It's an amazing thing. But he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. What's the message? If you're in Christ, God's not holding our sins against us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We represent him. We go for him. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And if there's anyone in here and you've been thinking about, do you or do you not want to follow Jesus? If there's anyone watching online and you've been wondering, do you or do you not want to follow Jesus? I want to say what the Apostle Paul said. We implore you, would you trust him? Would you accept this incredible gift that he gives to you? God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm gonna try something ambitious. I'm gonna try to take all that we just read and put it down into one sentence. If you're a note taker, be ready, write this down. If you are included in Christ, you are included in the greatest movement in human history. If you are in Christ, you are included in the greatest movement in human history. And if you have not yet chosen to follow Jesus, you are invited into it. And if there's anybody who looks at this and says, I don't know if that's, if that's exactly true, then I'm gonna say, I don't think you know him like I know him. And if there's anybody who wants to give a stiff arm to this statement and say, I don't know if this is true, I think you need to go and really discover what does it mean that God is no longer holding our sins against us if we are in Christ. This is what we are about. We are part of the greatest movement in human history. And what is that movement? It is the gospel movement. It is the good news of the king. And he has brought his kingdom and all are invited in. And it's out of this, it's out of the gospel that this is where our mission statement comes from. It's where our vision statement comes from. It's where our church values come from. And it's not new, it's just newly stated. And it's our intention just to, with all of who we are, with full devotion to follow Jesus and to point other people to Jesus and to be the kind of church where we say, God, we're gonna follow you and we're gonna do our best to lead others to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we're about. This is, this is what we intend to be. And so this is what I wanna do. With that in mind, I wanna go back and I wanna look at something that Apostle Paul said. We read it a minute ago. I wanna read it again. And he died, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. We're gonna see this play out next Sunday afternoon at our outdoor baptism event when people go down under the water. They're identifying with the death of Jesus and saying, I'm dying to my old way of life. And when they come up out of the water, they're identifying with the resurrection of Jesus and saying, I have new life in him. It's a beautiful thing. But what I wanna focus on is this right here. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him. If that's true, if that's, if that's the disposition of our heart and mind, if that's our life, wouldn't it make sense that we would, have, we would just adopt this kind of statement right here? When it comes to whatever, Jesus, we live for you, not ourselves. Does that make sense? Would you, do you guys agree with me on that? I got the lights right in my face. I'm trying to see. You guys got beautiful faces. I know some of you want to smile. If we're followers of Jesus, say, Jesus, we're devoted to you. When we say, Jesus, when it comes to whatever, when it comes, what, Jesus, you pick the topic. We live for you, not for ourselves. So we can say, when it comes to politics, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to fear, when it comes to risk, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to gossip, when it comes to whatever. Jesus, we live for you, not ourselves. Does that sound right? Is there anything that a follower of Jesus would not put in here? If you're a devoted follower of Jesus, is there any subject we wouldn't put in here? Let me hear you. No. All right. So can I put something in here real quick? When it comes to giving, Jesus, we live for you, not for ourselves. And I know what you're thinking. Rick, you just set us up. This is a whole setup. I can't believe you do that to me. 
Well, this week we're starting a two-week series. It's this weekend and next weekend, a series that we're calling Dollars and Cents. And today we're going to talk about giving. Next week we're going to talk about generosity. Today we're talking about faithful giving to our, to our local church. And um, in the past couple of weeks people said, Rick, what are you preaching on? What's our next series? And people have asked me. My answer's been the same for everybody. I don't want to tell you. Because <laughs> I want you to come. Why do we sometimes feel queasy when we talk about giving at church? Has, has anyone ever been stuck in one of those timeshare seminars and you were stuck it because you thought you were going to get a free vacation. They saw me coming one time. It just said, sucker, right here. They saw me coming. If today sounds like a sales pitch, man, I have failed you. And I haven't done my job. But what I want to do is because we're friends, I want to start with, with just acknowledging a kind of reality check moment. We're going to be a little vulnerable. And this is it. The subject of giving collides with what we feel and what we believe about church. It collides with what we feel and what we believe. And so I just want to ask right now, what do you feel? We're going to talk about belief, but we're also going to talk about what do you feel? When what we feel and what we believe, when they're healthy, when this subject comes up, we're relaxed. But if what we feel and or what we believe is somewhere less than healthy, then anxiety or even anger are understandable when this, when this subject comes up. And so today, right now, I want to talk about how do you feel? What's our, what's our relationship with church? What's our relationship with this church? This chart right here, I have found to be incredibly helpful. I think we can plot any relationship we have in our life on this chart. And if we sit down and we plot any relationship we have uh, in, in our life, if we plot it on this chart, I think we began to see things. It begins to make sense of things that are going on. The higher you go this way, the more expectations you have. You go down here, fewer expectations. On this side, less trust. On this side, more trust, all right? The best relationships in life are right here, where you have a high level of trust. Don't you love it? Don't you love it when there's a high level of trust? There's a high level of trust and a high level of expectation. And we're not talking about imposed expectation. We're not talking about control. We're talking about where people come together in a very healthy way, voluntarily give the other permission to expect things of them. You can count on me that I'm for you. I'm going to be with you no matter what. And that's, that's vice versa. I mean, it's just, that's a beautiful relationship. And we want all of our relationships to be here, but we need our most important relationships to be here. And probably the best way to describe it, it is ecstatic joy and peace when our most important and intimate relationships are here. But it's the source of maybe the biggest hurts in life when our most important relationships never make it here or they were here and they fall out of here. And so today I'm asking you this question would you think about where you would plot your relationship with our church on this chart? I'm convinced any relationship can be here. No relationship starts here, but it can get here. On this side, right here in this quadrant, this is where you feel a high level of expectation, but low levels of trust. That's not great, is it? That feels pretty bad. It feels pretty bad when you don't feel trusted or you can't trust, but you feel like there's a lot of expectations. It's not a great place to be. 
And we might have people here in our church who would say, Rick, this is where I am. And I think we would, if we have people here, I think they'd probably come from two different groups. And I love both of these groups. My heart goes out. I deeply care about both of these groups. And one of the groups is people, they're coming to Autumn Ridge, but the last church left them with some wounds and some hurts. And they're coming, but they're coming cautiously, and they're not even sure, can I trust another pastor again? Can I, can I trust another church again? I don't know. And if I'm talking to you, if I'm talking to you, I just want you to know I'm so glad you're here. And I want our church, I want this to be a place where you can find just rest and comfort. But then there's another group of people that might be here, and they're not people who are newly coming. Maybe I'm talking to people who have been here for a long time. And over the past two and a half to three and a half years, just, just to go back a window of three and a half years, if you've, been here for, if you've been here during that time or before that time, you have had to go through an unfair amount of change. You've had to go through what might be an unmanageable amount of change. It started with the, the, the retirement of a beloved senior pastor who was here for 30 years. And after he retired, five more pastors retired or transitioned off staff. Not counting me, seven new pastors came on staff. And I don't know if you guys, do you guys remember COVID? Um, we had to navigate the COVID chaos and political and social and economic uncertainty and anxiety. And then you had to pivot to a new lead pastor. And I was in a position where I had to make all kinds of rapid adjustments and changes. I didn't want to, but I had to. And it came before we had a chance to get to know each other. We've been on a ride, haven't we? If anybody feels this way, you're not wrong. Anybody who would feel this way deserves gentleness. And somebody might ask, well, Rick, how long can someone stay here? I don't know. I don't think I get to pick that. But I think a helpful question would be this. What is it that is causing people to feel at rest and at home at Autumn Ridge? I think that's a helpful question. And if there is a danger of being here, it's that if we stay too long, we risk growing cynical. Down here, this is where there's not a lot of feelings of trust, but nobody's really feeling any expectations either. It's pretty, it's pretty relaxed. I think probably the best word is, it's just, eh, right? Some of the people who I love most in my life would say, this is where they're at. And probably, well, let me just say this. If someone is here, you may not even know why you're here. Why, I mean, if you're feeling this way, why are you even here? I'm just glad that you're here. But maybe if you're here, if somebody's there, it's because they can't yet relate to why some people feel excited and compelled. And I think a great question to ask is, why would somebody feel that way? I think it's a great question to ask. And if there is a danger of being here, it's that if we stay here too long, I think we risk growing complacent. Over here, people aren't feeling a lot of expectation, but they are feeling lots of trust. Isn't it great to feel lots of trust? This is a happy bunch. They are loving it. And they're a mixture of followers of Jesus and people who maybe aren't sure if they want to follow Jesus, but this is what they know. They love what they are experiencing here. 
They love what their kids experience here. They love what they're experiencing so much they want their friends to come and experience it here too. And somebody might ask, well, how long can someone just hang out here before they move up to the best kind of relationship possible? I don't know. I don't think I have a right to pick that for people. We all move at different speeds. I think a helpful question to ask is, if you're here, it's not just why are people happy at Autumn Ridge, why are people happy to give? Why are people happy to serve? Why are people happy to make sacrifices for the ministry? And if there's a danger of being here, it's that if we stay here too long, we risk becoming consumers. This is where the best relationships possible are right here. It's where you have lots of trust and you're happy, happy to embrace expectations because you know the other side is doing that too. When I read 2 Corinthians chapter five, these folks right here were like, yes. And when I started talking about giving, they didn't feel upset. They were thinking, come on in, the water's fine. We'd love for more people to join us in that. And if you love what you experience in this church, you gotta know, it has very little to do with me and it has a lot to do with these folks. We could not have this church without these folks. And so today, this is what I'm asking. How do you feel? Where would you plot your relationship with our church on this chart? I think it's just helpful to identify it. And as you're thinking about that, I want to read something else that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, the same Corinthian church that he wrote 2 Corinthians 2, but we're going to go back in time. We're going to read the prequel. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians. And what you need to know is that the Corinthian church, they were all over the map on this chart. They had complacent people. They had all-in kind of people. They had curious people. They had cynical people. And their, uh, their discontinuity was impacting their funding of the ministry. Their mixture of expectations and trust resulted in people not giving to fund the ministry. And in 1 Corinthians, I don't have time to read the whole thing. I'd love for you to go read 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 9. The Apostle Paul makes a case for why a local church should pay for the ministry that is happening with that local church. And uh, maybe the most important thing that he has to say to us from 1 Corinthians 9 is this. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar in the same way? This is huge. In the same way it happened way back then is the same way it's supposed to happen now. The Lord has commanded. This comes from Jesus. We didn't make this up. It's Jesus. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Essentially, the Apostle Paul is saying, if you want to understand how a local church is set up and how a local church is funded, you got to go back to the Old Testament and see what happened in the temple. And it was straightforward. It was simple. I think it's kind of genius. People brought their sacrifices. They brought their offerings. They brought their financial gifts. And that provided for everything. It funded the work of the priests, those who served in the temple. It funded the work of the ministry. And it paid for the generosity and the welfare efforts to serve people who had urgent needs. And that carried over into the New Testament. 
And when the very first followers of Jesus got together, and for the very first time, there was the very first church. People brought their offerings, and they brought their financial gifts. Some people even sold property and brought all the profit to jumpstart the funding to pay for what was required to have pastors and ministry leaders and ministry happening at that church, to take care of widows and orphans, and to fund the spread of the gospel movement around the known world. And we could summarize it like this. The gospel movement is crowdfunded. The church is the original GoFundMe. And if we want to really, if we want to really put a fine point on it, the best way to say it is this. The gospel movement is congregation funded. And this is a word that I think we need to give a big bear hug to, and we sometimes lose our grasp on this word. So what's going to come next is going to be fast and furious. It's, It's lightning quick. But I just want to present why we need to hold on to this word. As you read through the New Testament, when it talks about the collection of Jesus' followers, the two descriptions you're going to find the most are church and body. Church and body. Colossians 1, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. The body of the church is the same thing. Romans 12, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, we form one body. And 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ. So this is what I want to get. It's going to feel like, duh, but it's important. A local church is, a pl- is not a place, it's people. It's not a place, it's people. And I I think we have some bad habits. I think we have a bad habit of talking about church as though it is a place, or though it's a building, or though it's an event on the weekend instead of people. And it's not just just people had bad habits. Longtime church people have this bad habit too. We're guilty too. But I think one of the reasons that we have this bad habit is because we have bad terminology, and that's not your fault. One of the most important words for the gathering of Jesus' followers in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. And that word ekklesia means literally called out ones. It means an assembly. It means a congregation. And so a local church is quite literally that congregation of folks who have trusted in Jesus, who are committed to each other, and they are committed to the purposes of Christ. And for some nerdy reasons that I don't have time to get into, ecclesia has been translated into English as church instead of congregation, and it should be congregation. Church comes from the German word kirk, which means a religious place, instead of people who are in Christ. And so whenever we read the word church, I think Jesus wants us to think congregation. And this is how he wants us to think about our congregation the local church, the congregation, the local congregation is the primary vehicle of the gospel movement. It's not projects and programs. Those those things are great, and we need them. It's not parachurch ministries and nonprofits. Those are really great things, and we need them. It's not pastors and missionaries. Let's don't get rid of this one. Right? These are great, and we need them. But he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. He has given us this message to carry. He has called us to be the ambassadors. 
and local congregations. Jesus' plan, not mine. Jesus' plan, not yours. Local congregations are the primary vehicle of the gospel movement. And it is our privilege to participate. And it is our privilege to fund it, to pay for it. And you might be wondering, Rick, why are we talking about this today? Well, because I'm your pastor, I owe it to you to be faithful in how I teach God's word and what it means to be a follower of Jesus in all areas of our life, including this one. Our vision statement says this, we want to be a church of all cultures. We're curious, skeptical, and hurting people love to attend. What is it that we want them to attend? Our church, our collection of Jesus followers. Do we want them to join in with this congregation? We have to be clear. We got to talk honestly about what it means to be a church, or we're never going to hit it. <laughs> we got to talk honestly about what it means to be a collection, a congregation of people who are committed to Jesus and living for his purposes. And so today, this is what I'm asking you since he has given us this incredible privilege. Will you join? Will you give? If for some reasons, a, a confluence, a constellation of reasons in the past have led you to stop giving, would you say, I'm going to start giving again? And for you to be able to answer that question, you might need me to answer a few questions. And I think it's my privilege to answer questions you have. And so I want to hit a few FAQs, some frequently asked questions that I get. Next week, we'll answer some more. But number one, what are we funding? When you give, when people give, what are we giving to? Let me hit just a few. Uh, weekend worship services with a growing attendance. We're, growing, we're significantly higher than we were last year. Kids and student ministry. Our kids ministry is 120 126% higher than it was last year. Okay, there we go. I got a friend over there. We got a, whoo, all right. Do you know what the national average is? Down 27%. We're up 126%. Midweek programming, Bible studies, and classes. Celebrate recovery in a variety of support groups. Growing small group ministry. Ongoing facility care and maintenance. I don't know if you guys realize this. This place is kind of big. Um, generosity efforts in the local community that serve urgent needs. Local community outreach. ARC18, Mega Camp, Ridgefest. Sign up for Ridgefest. Local ministry partners. International missionaries. International ministry partners. Things like the Compassion Evangelical Hospital and far more that we don't have time to talk about right now. But more so than anything else, what are you funding? We are funding the gospel movement. Well, here's a question. What happens when we receive more or less money than was budgeted? Well, to answer that question, you have to know how do we allocate money when it, when it comes in. This is what we do. Bucket number one, this is our annual budget. This is just operations costs. Out of every, everything goes into this bucket, and we pay for international partnerships. We pay for, we support missionaries. We pay for staff. We pay for this facility uh, and ongoing needs. We're paying for outreach. All the ministry that's happening, it's this. And at the end of the year, if we've paid all the costs and we've paid all our bills, what's left over goes into the second bucket. And this bucket is a kind of savings account. I hope you have a savings account. And this bucket is full when we hit a million dollars. That's three months of operations costs. That's our rainy day fund. In case there's a downturn, in case something weird were to happen in the world, we're able to keep going. And then we have another bucket right here. If we fill that one, if that's a million dollars, and then we fill this next one, and that is a, uh, that's capital expenditures, and that's for like unexpected maintenance needs. 
Um, so let's say an HVAC unit goes out. We want to be able just to pay for it without having to take up a collection. You guys know, winter's cold here. We, gotta be, we need to be prepared to make sure you stay warm when you come, all right? I'm trying to bring the heat, but we need the HVAC to keep you warm. Bucket four, if we, we pay our bills, all right, now we have our savings set up. What's left? It goes into bucket four, kingdom initiatives. This is for big dreams. And this is, we're trying to stash away money. So if we're faithful and we're wise, we just believe that God is gonna bring us opportunities that we don't even know how to plan for and we want to be financially available. Does that sound smart? Okay, all right, so this is what we do. So that's what we do if we get more than we expected. If we get less than expected, we do what you do. We do what any wise person or organization would do. We cut expenses and we dip into our savings, these two things right here. So at least the natural question, all right, Rick, well, how are we doing? Is our giving more or less than was budgeted? Right now, it's less. This year, we adopted a budget of $4.1 million. Right now, we're projected to hit, at the end of the year, if things don't change, we're, we're projected to hit $3.5 million. So what are we doing? We've identified about $400,000 from our budget that we think that we can cut. We're not cutting any staff. We haven't, and we won't cut staff related to expenses. That's not, a, that's not a plan. We haven't, and we won't cut any missions funding related to that. The, the cut expenditures come from other areas. And we're, so we're going to cut that expenditure, and we're going to use some of our savings. That's what, that's what our plan is. And if you're wondering, Rick, are you sharing this? Are you mad at us? Are you disappointed in us? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, just let me just be, let me be transparent. The amount of giving that we get for the size of the church that we are is above average, and I am grateful. Do I think we can hit our budget? Yeah, I think we can. And I think that we should. But if for some reason we don't, we are going to move forward with wisdom. Let me tell you another question that sometimes I'm just asked point blank. How much should I give? I'm going to talk about this more next week because there's a debate uh, going back to the Old Testament and people talk about tithes, should we give, which means 10%. Should we give 10% of our income? Do I have to give more? Should I give less? We're going to talk about that more next week. But today, could we just start here? What do you want to give? Could you just get just you and Jesus or if you're married, you, your spouse, and Jesus, what do you want? What's going on at the heart level? How do you want to be engaged? Could we just start there? Now, here's one more question I want to answer today. To whom should I give? I get questions like this. Every pastor gets questions like this. Should I give to my local church first and give to other things second? Or should I give to, can I give to other ministries first and give to my church second? I, honestly, I think it's a mix. Heather and I, we give, uh, we give as a mix. We give primarily to Autumn Ridge and secondarily uh, to other ministries. And sometimes people say, I don't know if I like what my church is doing. And um, so is it okay if I don't give to my church? And I give to other churches. Every, listen, every pastor has had, to, has had to answer these questions. I think John Steer's back there. John, have you ever had to answer these questions? I just put him on the spot. But I think he's comfortable with the spotlight. So you know what I did? I just said, as I'm processing through these questions, I turned to a pastor I trust. 
One of the pastors that I trust, his name is J.D. Greer, and he was answering, this, he was answering these questions for his church, and I just want to share with you what he had to say because I think it's helpful. He said, I can certainly understand wanting to give to what you might see as bigger and more exciting ministry, but I can assure you every ministry and every church has mundane expenditures, even ours. It's still best to give locally. The only relevant question is, is your church following Christ and his mission? The only relevant question is, is your church following Christ and his mission? If so, then be the church where you are and own it. If not, perhaps it's time for you to be part of the solution in your church instead of funneling your resources elsewhere. And so this is my invitation to you today. This is what I'm asking. If you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, if you would say, this is my church and these are my people, will you give? Will you link arms with us? Will you help us to fund the greatest movement in human history, which is the message of Jesus? Let's go back to this question. What is your relationship with our church? For those who are here, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. And my greatest invitation to you today, to everybody today, is primarily, would you trust and follow Jesus? But for those who feel like they're here, my, my biggest invitation to you is, would you take whatever the, the next step is for you that would allow trust to begin to grow and to be cultivated? And if there's anything that I or church leadership can do to help and contribute to that, it's our joy to do that. For folks who would say, I feel like I'm here, my biggest invitation for you is to wrestle with, what do you want to live for? What is your life about? What do you want to give yourself to? For those who would say that you're here, I'm asking, would you take a step from here towards here and say, I'm going to link arms and I'm going to participate in this great movement of the gospel and I'm going to give so that we can fund this incredible ministry. And for those who are here, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you are doing. And thank you for the good things that you're intending to do. And if I had any request, it would simply be this. If you give digitally, would you go back and make sure those digital systems are working the way that you intend? Sometimes digital stuff, there's a glitch. And so if you use a donor-advised fund or if you have online recurring giving, would you just go and check and make sure that what you are intending to happen actually happens? And if you're wondering, okay, Rick, well, how am I supposed to give? You guys don't even pass a plate in here. We have giving boxes in the back of the room. We would invite you, you could drop your financial gift there. Giving online is pretty easy. Go to autumnridge.church and click on, just click on give. And we try to make it easy. Back during the days of COVID, uh, we changed a lot of stuff because we didn't know how it passed, right? So one of the things we stopped doing is we stopped, we stopped having a moment in the service for an offering. Um, believe it or not, it take, there's a whole system behind that. There's a whole team of people and system, and we are working to reinstitute that in our service. And so I can't give you a date yet, but that's going to be coming back. But we want to make it easy for you to engage because I believe that's a part of the heart of who this church is and has always been. The end of this month, 
we're having an event called Ecclesia. And if you remember, Ecclesia is the Greek word that means, when we translate church, it really means congregation. We did this back in May, and this is a chance for us just to get together. We do a little singing and a whole lot of prayer together. And I want you to come. I love an opportunity for us just to gather and basically do nothing else but just pray together. But at this night, I'll be available, and, and some of our elders will be available. And when we're done praying, we're going to carve out some time, and we'll answer any questions that anybody has, primarily related to, to finances at our church. And so I'd love for you to come and be a part of that. But as we end, let's go back to how we began. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the love of Christ compels us. If the love of Christ does compel us and we live for him and not for ourselves, how would, we, how would we respond to this? How would we finish this sentence? We are happy to give because. We are happy to give financially because of what God has done for us and is doing through us. We celebrate this and we're grateful for this. What a privilege that he is using us to make himself known.